Welcome to a special edition of the BS Podcast. We're doing four this week. We still have one coming on Wednesday and one coming on Friday, but uh, we had not talked to Jacko during this improbable Yankees playoff run. So we called them. We're going to call him for the Ringer MOB show, but we got a little carried away, and now we just thought we'd put it here. Special edition, Jacko, BS Podcast, Hall of Famer, dating back to 2007, and uh, this Yankees revival, we had to get his thoughts. So this podcast, as always, is presented by SeatGeek. Our presenting sponsor, buy and sell tickets and two taps on your phone. Everything fully guaranteed. Uh, basketball fans, $30 off your first SeatGeek purchase on, NF, on uh, I'm sorry, NBA tickets. Use promo code NBA Palooza. It expires on November 1st. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. Also brought to you by TheRinger.com. That's where you can find my football column. Football picks, mailbag, whatever I come up with on a Friday, it's there on TheRinger.com. And we're brought to you by The Ringer MLB Show. Ben Lindbergh and Michael Bauman are breaking down uh, the World Series and everything that's going on with that for the rest of the week. So there you go. First Pearl Jam and then my buddy Jacko. Let's go. Johnny. What's up, buddy? Special edition. Awesome. Calling you at your daughter's track meet on a Monday afternoon. You've had two days yeah. to digest the Yankees loss. Yeah. Um, Indeed. We should have been doing something every day last week as we ran through this roller coaster ride of Yankees emotions. Yankees down 2 0. Come back, <laughs> come back, up 3 2. Got to say, John, yeah. the Yankee fans got very confident there, up 3-2. Very, very, very Extremely. confident. What are your regrets? What do you regret? Uh, well, I regret not winning the series, obviously, but that's sort of a big overarching regret. But um, I don't really regret anything. I, I kept saying on Twitter that it was house money, and it truly was house money. The, the only game that they absolutely had to win was the play-in game against Minnesota. And after that, anything was gravy because – you're facing a Cleveland team that won 22, 23 games in a row, won 102 games, I think. Went to the seventh game of the World Series last year. Absolute barn burners with Kluber, a solid offense, experienced manager Tito Francona, who had already beaten the Yankees, as we all know. So to beat them was really an uphill climb, and to do that was amazing. So then you beat them, and then you have the Astros coming down the, coming down the pike. They're a 101-win team, best team in the American League all year until Cleveland got hot late, in the, you know, whenever they went on their streak and got hot and overtook them for best record. But Houston was the class of the American League all year long. You know, they were first from the beginning. They've been highly touted for years because they have all these young guys that have now blossomed. They have Keuchel. Uh, they picked up Verlander, as we, as we well know, at the uh, trade deadline. So it was really house money. And then the Yanks go down 2 nothing, and you start to say, well, you know, they were who we thought they were, and the Astros were who they thought we were. Then the Yanks come home for three. They, they set the world on fire, set New York on fire, and, and win three games in a row. And then as I also said on Twitter and said to all my friends, it's like the Shawshank Redemption. You know what it taught us? It, it gave me hope. And what did Shawshank tell us? Hope is a terrible thing. Because then when you're up 3-2, I started getting World Series thoughts. And I'm like, my God, if this team could ever go to the World Series, you know, I started getting ideas. And then, you know, Verlander and, and freaking uh, Charlie Morton quickly disabused me of those uh, those hopes, unfortunately. So, 
But it was an amazing run. It was a great run for a team that was picked to come in like third or fourth in the AL East, depending on which uh, prognostication you looked at. So everybody agrees the Yanks are coming and the Yanks are on the move. But this year was supposed to be the you know 81 and 81. I think Vegas had them at 83 wins before the season. So to go to the seventh game of the ALCS is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Pretty pretty good. I thought I thought so. we learned from Shawshank that hope was a good thing. So we, oh, we learned a it's, a, it's a bad thing now, Hope? I, I don't know. Isn't that what they said? Like, hope is a bad thing or hope is a good thing? I always thought it was hope was a bad thing. But then at the end, we learned hope was a good thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm tired. No. I haven't slept in a week. Andy, <laughs> Andy said hope was a good thing, and Red was against hope. He said hope would... Yeah, that's it. Hope, you, you know, you're institutionalized, all that stuff. And then we right. learned at the end that hope was a good thing, but Andy had to be sodomized for two straight years from the sisters, and uh, right. and and be in isolation, and he had to crawl through a 500 yard uh, sewage pipe to eventually get right. where he needed let's to go. Is, let's hope that's not required for the Yanks to get to the World Series. Because I'm not willing to go that far. You on might, either account, you might crawl through like a 75 foot sewage pipe. I don't know if you would go 500 maybe. 500 yards. Maybe. No, that's a lot. But it was a good, you know, all in all, Shawshank anecdotes, I mean, Shawshank uh, metaphors that may not work aside. Um, it was a good year, and I'm happy, but, you know, ultimately it's disappointing. You know, I figured if they went to the world, I was kind of like the natural. I, I was like Wilford Brimley. All I wanted was a pennant. I yeah. just wanted to win the pennant. Uh, you know, I, if they won the American League, I would have been so happy. And, and, you know, you face the Dodgers and Kershaw, and who knows. But but just to win the pennant in a rebuilding year would have been fantastic and would have been really huge. And you know, they came so damn close and overachieved to such an extent that I, while of course I'm bummed out and disappointed, I really am not like, you know, nothing got thrown around my living room, let's put it that way. Like no remotes were broken or anything. It was just like, you look back with admiration. And the thing is, I mean, I, I love this team so much because, you know, in 2009, you had a lot of guys that were not very likable and they were sort of mercenaries, you know, free agents that were brought in, guys you had no connection with. But you know, for to hear so many years about Judge and Severino and Sanchez and see them perform to some degree on a big stage and to get the team to the seventh game of the ALCS, you know, Todd Frazier with the thumbs down thing and the thickest New Jersey accent in this side of uh, the Jersey Shore, being like, you know, lifelong Yankee fan. It was just heart and soul of the team. It was just a great team to really like wrap your arms around and, and feel good about. So. so, but in retrospect, the Yankee fans could have toned it down up 3 2. I feel like they could have scaled it back a notch. They scaled it back yeah, one notch. If his, especially if history has taught us anything. You know, we can't start counting our chickens, our World Series chickens, before they hatch. I was very worried because friends of mine were Yankee fans, and there was a lot of you know chest beating and, and a lot of like planning ahead and, and you know getting ready for the parade. And I was like, 2004 has taught us some things. 2001 should have taught us some things like yeah let's not go crazy here everybody let's just let's just wait and see you should have seen it. things have happened you should have seen it out here in la because once dodgers yankees was legit in play there's so many yankee fans yeah. out here that everybody right. was going for tickets i had a couple of people in my life that were like hey man i need connections for uh you know right. the yankees dodgers i'm like you guys haven't won yet what are you do- <laughs> what are you doing send right. that email on saturday right. night at midnight but right it just Hey, we've learned. And you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, like Rob Manfred and everybody, all the other executives are bummed out because the thought of Yankees, Dodgers, you know, New York and LA, the New York and LA markets, all the history of having played each other 11 times previously, yeah, you know, throughout the years, like 
MLB had to be salivating about that. Now, I'm sure they're happy with Houston, who's a feel-good story, no, given everything happy. the city not, has suffered. No, they're, they're, there's no way they're happy. They would, Yankees-Dodgers would have been the all-time goldmine of a World Series now that the Cubs have already won. I think if you're doing a, a fantasy... Hang on. What's up? Okay. I'll watch it. Okay. Sitting in my car, my daughter was just giving me a cross-country update. Cross-country, not a great spectator sport. <laughs> I'm put that out there. You can, you kind of watch the start, and then you can watch the finish, and then the rest of the time they're running in the woods somewhere. So um, <laughs> uh, she just was giving me their start time. So you might, uh, of the year here, it's all good. You might you might do some things differently with uh, the watchability of cross country. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I think maybe we need some like video on the course to watch it on a monitor or something here at the finish line. You're not allowed to see. Yeah, I would so, say. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, MLB wanted. You know, if you looked at when you looked at the four teams left, they were like Yankees, Cubs, or Yankees, Dodgers. They were salivating about either one of those, obviously. But I would um, say so if, we were all hopeful for that. If you're doing a fantasy draft of matchups, I would say Yankees, yeah. Dodgers would probably have been their first pick. Yeah, because New York and LA, and absolutely, I and all the so. young dudes, and you get Judge in there. I mean, yeah. judges. Right, going to be the golden child. I think Yankees Washington would have been interesting too because of uh, yeah for Harper, Harper to go up a level. But you know he was I don't know if he was hundred percent healthy. But Aaron Judge, right? What was what? Was, walk me through your mindset in <laughs> how many playoff games did you play? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Aaron Judge either would strike out or something good right. would happen, and there was really no in between. Did you like having him right. come up with guys on base? I did not. And the funny thing is, before the Cleveland series started, a guy called into Francesa and he was like, would you pinch hit for Dutch? And for if, you know, he came up in a big spot and they needed a hit and, and, you know, would you pinch hit for him? And Francesa basically laughed him up the air. And then the longer that series went on, I started to like think about the call. And I'm like, it's not crazy because, you know, he was flailing at pitches. He looked completely lost at the plate. You know, if he swings and he misses, or he, you know, he's not going to hit a home run every time, obviously. But yeah. he just looked so so bad, and just like his swing was awful. He's pulling away off of things, and he just looked overmatched at times. And then other times, you know, he he puts the team on his back, and he's got a big double, or he hits a home run. And the one thing you can't quibble about was his defense because he took, he stole two home runs in uh, two different against the Astros twice. Yeah. So. You know, it, it was a roller coaster ride of emotions, and you keep having to remind yourself the kid's only 24 years old. He's never sniffed a postseason, never been involved in this kind of pressure before. But um, to be that susceptible to a breaking ball, you know, it's got an off season to work on that. But obviously, there's some holes and things. But um, so it was a roller coaster of emotions with Aaron Judge, and then you know Greg Bird, who was basically dead all year with a bad ankle, and yeah. they were ready to ship him out of town, and he he came up huge and, and limited at bats in the postseason. Like, it was it was so weird. I much I was much happier seeing Greg Bird at the plate than I was Aaron Judge. Were you worried? And if you told me that in July, I'd have been like, "You're crazy." Were you worried at any point during the playoffs that people were going to start thinking Didi Gregorius was a better shortstop than Derek Jeter? You, you did think about it a couple <laughs> I times. I think that happened. I'm going to tell you something. The guy who's the most bummed out about this whole about this postseason run has to be Derek Jeter. Because yeah, Didi. I mean, you know, the whole thing with with Jeter was he was Captain Clutch and big moments, and and Didi had some humongous moments. I mean, he hit the three run homer to save the season against Minnesota in the first yeah. inning. That was Jeter esque, and he had a lot of big hits and a lot of big moments. You know, he has the record for shortstops now on the Yankees. And I know I, I made a joke on Twitter, and it was only half a joke about who was the shortstop before 
glorious, you know? Yeah. Jeter's got to be so bummed out about the state of his legacy because, you know, like Tino Martinez, who filled Manningly's shoes, and then he became a beloved Yankee. I mean, you know, you always figure, like, the guy that follows, you know, Vince Lombardi or whoever, you know, follows a superstar, follows Willie Mays, is going to have a hard time. But the Yankees have lucked out twice now with two superstars where their replacements have been, you know, almost as good. So it's been it's been good in that regard. He was always the Yankee just when the Red Sox played the Yankees, just judging it on that. For some reason, yeah. I was always the most scared of Gregorius in the lineup. And Brett Gardner second. Really? Yeah, right. Brett Gardner just because something Brett about Gardner him. underrated. I mean, yeah. he, he just, you know, fouls off pitches when you need a hit. He had some huge hits this year when they played the Cubs and they yeah. hit a home run in the ninth inning and that really, like, sort of set them on fire for a while. And just huge, huge just good at bats. bats. And just, yeah. you know. Very good at bats, just and just kills the pitcher. He had the big at bat against Cleveland, where he fouled off like twelve. I think it was Cleveland. They all these things meld together now in my aged mind. But no, he was Cleveland. He fouled off twelve. Yeah, twelve pitch. The twelve pitch at bat just fouled off, fouled off, and whoever the reliever was, you could see his body. Like I've thrown him everything, and he's making contact. Like, what do I do here? You know, just working pitchers and it, it, just phenomenal, just just huge, just huge. Yeah, you fun. know, that's the thing. Role players like Brett Gardner doesn't have a huge contract, and he. But he has great at bats like that that you know maybe aren't in the box score, but just wear a pitcher down for the next guy. I always felt like the Red Sox could pitch to Judge and Sanchez, like not that they're not good yeah. hitters, but I always felt like we could get them out. And the the Gregorius and Gardner were the two guys that I always felt like, ah, oh no, this guy's up, you know, like oh man, this is gonna be a nine pitch at bat. The uh, I mean, Brett Gardner doesn't waste at bats normally, and he has an idea. I mean, that that comes with being you know older and he's a veteran because. I mean, Sanchez had one of the worst at-bats I've ever seen in the history of baseball where he had a three-pitch strikeout, and he right. couldn't have looked any worse. Just just awful, you know? Just, oh, my. But then he comes up, and they'll hit one to the moon. So it's like, you know, you got to keep reminding yourself that they're young. They've never been here before. So there's stuff to work on, obviously, but the, but the future looks bright. So, And that, one of my rules has always been if you're trusting Aaron Hicks in a playoff series, you probably don't deserve to be in a yeah. series. He did have one big hit. <laughs> <That's exactly>. in <laughs> the, uh, he did, but he couldn't. He no. couldn't do anything, and he he came up with guys on. He came up first and second. I uh, I think it was game six. They had first and second, and you're like, God, if he Aaron Hicks could do something here, just put a little pressure on Houston. And I mean, Houston's Achilles heel is their bullpen is awful, as you saw in game seven where they brought in McCullers. Yeah, because they don't trust their bullpen. Like they have good starters, but their bullpen is awful. So you're like, God, if you can, you know, get into the bullpen here, we you know, maybe we got a shot, but. Yeah, Aaron Hicks, not great at the plate. He's in there for his defense, I guess. But he, was, he had a couple of big hits during the season, but then he just fell apart and he was injured. And just, you know, you don't want him in big spots. You're right. What are What are your thoughts on Verlander after that series? <laughs> it's, well, it's not fair. He gets to date or be married to or whatever he does with Kate Upton, and then he gets to pitch that as well as he did and get the ALCS MVP. It's just, there's no justice in the world, Billy. Um <laughs> And I was thinking he must have gone to, like, I think he went to go see Kobe Bryant's doctor in Germany because this was a guy that was, like, mediocre for the first half of the season, and now he's pitching, like, Sandy Koufax. It's unbelievable. Uh, going to Houston rejuvenated him, or maybe it was pitching for something, and Detroit it was just, like, playing out the string. But, I mean, the guy, two of the best games, I mean, made the Yankees look like a Little League team. It, it was He was unhittable. I felt vindicated because I really wanted the Red Sox to trade for him. He was just starting to pitch right. well for a couple weeks. We traded for him in my fantasy league. He was just starting to pitch well. And then it was, you know, Dombrowski 
who was his GM in Detroit. I just felt like right, right. I thought we would step in. I remember. I, I think I tweeted or I said it on a Pod that I would have traded Pomerantz and a prospect, and people were like, "Oh, that's crazy, Pomerantz." <laughs> I'm like, look. All I know is the playoffs are going to come around and Drew Pomeranz is going to make it to the fifth inning. Like I, I know I'm sure of very few things for the rest of 2017, especially how crazy this year has been. But I know Drew Pomeranz isn't getting out of the fifth inning in a playoff game. I'm, I'm just you can mark that down. And Verlander just seemed like he was sitting there, and people were saying, "Wow, his contract! It's like his contract. He makes 20 million. Who cares? He makes 20 million this year and next year, and then there's some option. Like great, okay. That all I know is that guy's going to show up in a big game." And uh, right. and he was awesome, and and you know, the, especially in the in Game Six, where you knew once they got what they get to three runs, and it was like, oh man, all right, yeah, all right. But I I agree with you. Though. I think that that Astros bullpen, I thought Peacock looked scared. Smoltz was basically saying it. There was one of those games. It was looked like P- Smoltz was saying how I know you don't like John Smoltz. Uh, he was saying no. how. Oh, the moment looks like it's getting a peacock, and you could really kind of feel it. But he got out of the inning, and they were able to escape. But uh, I think in the World Series, that's going to be I think problem. that's I think that's their problem in the World Series because especially when you're in the National League and you have all these double switches, and you're going you know, yeah, you, your pitcher might come up in a big spot, and you're going to have to pinch hit for the pitcher, go into your bullpen, and their bullpen is. I, I was like praying, like, come on, let's run up, run up Verlander's pitch count and try to get into that bullpen. And the one thing that gave me hope is, like, Keiko has been a Yankee killer for about three years now, and, like, they can't do anything with him, completely unhittable, like just something about the uniform, whatever. Yeah. He, he sees pinstripes and he comes on. And then they get to him in game five, and I'm like, God, if they if they beat Keiko, I'm like, well, if they could beat Keiko, maybe they can get to Verlander. Verlander yeah. very quickly disabused me of that notion, just rose mm. to the occasion just amazingly. And just Those games are, I mean, I think I was at my angriest tweeting Verlander game because it's just so frustrating. He's just mowing them down, and it's just like they can't do anything with him. And you're like, the guy's not throwing junk. It doesn't need to be moving, but his fastball is just it's unhittable, you know? Yeah, he's it's unhittable. The Yankees are a good fastball-hitting team, but he's just blowing it by him. I was like, geez. Yeah, he started so, 96. Yeah, that was disconcerting. 96 and hitting his spots. See, I think – I think we're going to look back at Charlie Morton going five, five scoreless in game seven and yeah. kind of wondering how the hell that happened. I know. I know. It was like his gum. I didn't like that. He's touching his pitching hand with his gum. I'm always shaky about that. And But I know. I'm like, well, that's what I, I, I knew if they lost game six, it was a tall order because it's such a game of momentum and the Yankees had all the momentum after game five and then Verlander shuts him down and then you have game seven and the crowd going nuts. But I'm like, it's Charlie freaking Morton, you know? And then he just, he looked great. So he had, he got the magic and it was like, Jesus, you know, if you can't, if you can't hit Charlie Morton, I mean, you deserve to lose, quite frankly, because he was as good as he was. I mean, he, he's not as good as Verlander or Keuchel. So when he was, when he shut the door in game seven, there's just, you know, what are you going to do? Tip your cap, I guess, and build for next season. What was Francesca's state of mind during the Yankee run? <laughs> well, I think he kind of caught, he was sort of counseling, you know, uh, circumspection that, you know, let's not get crazy here. But after game five, it was like 96 all over again, where he kept talking about how this team reminded him of 96. You know, the whole city was getting caught up in everything. And he, he was definitely, he definitely had world series fever after game five. Totally did. Um, I don't know. The most surprising thing for me, this whole postseason, though is, 
I can't believe how much I like David Ortiz. I, I've ne- I mean, oh. him and A-Rod, honest to God, I've, I can't believe it. I'm like, I, I would tune in and I'd be like, oh, look, there's A-Rod and Big Poppy, like two old friends. Like, they were so freaking good together. Big Poppy is legitimate, like, he's funny as hell. I, I hate myself for it, and I'll deserve all the tweets I get about this. I'm, I'm still going to stand by all my anti-Big Poppy as a player, but as a broadcaster, like, the other night, I think it was game five, it was Keith Hernandez's birthday, so they show when he had two hits in the 82 World Series. And they showed him in the clubhouse with the champagne, and they're all making fun of Keith Hernandez. So that whoever the host was, he goes, 1982, Poppy, how old were you? And Poppy goes, yeah, I'm from the Dominican. I don't know, I could have been 18, 23, 41, 15. <laughs> so goddamn funny. He and A-Rod together, really, like, if somebody needs to give them, like, a buddy cop movie or show, I'm telling you. I know, or, there's... like, a reality show. The shame of it was Hernandez is like a solid C minus and the potential of the potential of Pete Rose. I know he had to go and there there were obviously great reasons for him having to go. I wish those reasons didn't exist and he could have stayed because just even for a week, having him with A-Rod and Poppy would have been just unbelievable television. They need to find it would have been unbelievable. They need to find a normal Pete Rose who doesn't have really horrible skeletons in his background, but has that same kind of, I don't know what that guy's going to say next. I was thinking, uh, it's too bad Pedro's not on that show. Because I think (laughs) think that would have been a really good combo, but maybe there's somebody out there. It's it's a, it's a really good studio show. It's way up there. I still liked it a little more last year, just because Rose, Rose was so yeah. captivating. It was like oh, yeah. it was like hey, this guy yeah. doesn't know he's on television. Um, Pete, uh, you just don't know what Pete Rose is going to say, but A Rod is so good on TV. It's like scary. It's scary how good he is. Everybody you, goes crazy about Romo, and I know we all love Romo, but in terms of former players. Like A Rod, you know, the, I should know the guy who's the host of the show, and it escapes me at the moment. But he Kevin would ask A Rod a question, Kevin Burkhart, that's right. And he'd be like, A Rod, you know, how do you hit Verlander's slider? He'd be like, well, KB. And then he's like, Frank, don't you think? And like, bring yeah. in the other people on the panel. Oh, my God, he's so good. He's, could, you know, he's like looking at the right camera. He's a natural. As phony as he was in interviews and, and all the post-game stuff with, as a player, he's, he's that much as a natural and, uh, as a host. It's amazing. Well, that phoniness translates to TV. There's, yeah, there's a reason. It. Hey, uh, do you have any... But, ter- he, but he and a big poppy, it seems like a legitimate, like, budding friendship and, like, the way they're razzing each other. A-Rod with the ring and trying to put the jacket on, the Yankees coat jacket yeah. on. Poppy is phenomenal. So good. Well, I think... I think the thing with Big Poppy is whoever he's with, he's going to get along with. Like you could, he could be on that show with like Kim Jong Il, um, <laughs> the, the, whoever the head of ISIS is right now, and and uh, Justin Bieber, and Ortiz would somehow bring everybody together, and I think it would be fine. Hey, do you do you have anything um, anything horrible you want to say? Any last words you want to leave for for Joe Buck and or John Smoltz, or you were. You were convinced. Oh you God. sounded like a John crazy Smoltz. person on Twitter. You were convinced John Smoltz is rooting against the Yankees. Oh, I oh the, because that's I, I'm also convinced the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, and the sky is blue. Of course, I was convinced of that. I know it's a crazy person to say like this guy's rooting against your team, but he he and Vasgersian were like might as well have been wearing Cleveland Indians jersey, and and uh, during the Indian series, and then they start playing the Astros. And they were like over the top with the Astros and Verlander. Like at one point, there was a there was a shaky call of a strike. I think it was for Verlander, 
And Smoltz goes, oh, like openly groaning about the strike <laughs> not being called for, for Verlander. It was the most amazing. Like, even Buck called him out on it. And he's like, well, that's because I'm a pitcher. And I'm like, get out of here. And when the Yankees rallied, and you know when they were down four nothing, and they rallied to score runs, I don't think Smoltz spoke for an inning and a half. I don't think he said a word. <laughs> it was so blatant. And you know the Yankees kicked his ass, kicked his team's ass in the '96 World Series and the '99 World Series, '96 when they were heavily favored. So I'd be bitter too. And I don't really care, really. You know, I'm I'm all about where the evil empire is. The Yankees against the world. I'm all down with that, but. As frustrating as it was to watch your team get shut down by Verlander, it made it all the more so to have freaking uh, Smoltz act like Kate Upton, rooting for him in the booth openly. So that the anger came from a place of frustration. And Joe Buck, I think, you know, he's a Cardinals guy. I, he may not have as much anti-Yankee animosity, but he seemed to get pretty excited when things were not going well for the Yankees. So I may have been reading too much into Joe Buck. That was just frustration. But I know Smoltz hates the Yankees. That was clear, clear as day, like blatant. Is blatant. Are you? And I can't wait till they win the next five World Series. And I hope he's the analyst and has to sit there and watch every freaking inning. Are you excited for Ken Rosenthal and Aaron Judge's uh, TV pilot? <laughs> What's that? They're bringing back Fantasy Island. They no. did it. Oh, it's <laughs> it's happening. Yeah, it's Mister. Really? He, yeah, Aaron Judge is going to wear the Mister Work Mr. thing. No, it's a. It's yeah. it was just the size difference of those guys was hilarious. Um, what do you want? <laughs> well, the they, Yankees... they love doing that with the, they kept doing that with Altuve Judge too. Yeah, that was another. They love that whenever Judge was on second base, they could show the difference between the two MVP candidates. You know. Well, Judge is a mutant. I mean, he when he's standing next to, even when he's making those catches in right field, it's like watching him. It's like watching Giannis in basketball or something. It's like how is this guy a so human big. being? How is he tall and fast and coordinated? Um, I know he's an amazing want, athlete. What do you want the Yankees to get next year? <laughs> well, I don't. That's an interesting question. I mean, you know, I, I, the, you know, they've got Glaber Torres, right? Yeah. So I would like them to. Re- I don't know what uh, Todd Frazier's contract situation is. You really like Todd I would like Frazier? Them to keep, I really do like Todd Frazier because I think you need like that veteran, like cheerleader guy on the bench. I like yeah. that. He brought in the thumbs down thing, and he kind of seemed to loosen them up. They weren't like the corporate stiff Yankees anymore. And mm. I think he was good, like you know. And he always seemed to, you know, he had a couple big hits here and there. He did. I, I don't know. I just, I just like him. He's a lifelong Yankee fan. He's like living out his dream. And he, you know, I made a joke. I think when they when they beat Houston in, the, in Game Four, maybe or Game Five, I'm like, you know, give Todd Frazier a two hundred million dollar contract, which I was obviously kidding about, but. You know, Glaber Torres, who's the number one prospect in baseball now, is hitting off of a tee after he had to have uh, rotator cuff surgery. Yeah. But I don't know what they plan to do with him from, you know, what position they have plan to have him play. I mean, you know, you got Chase Headley still under contract. So if you could ship Chase Headley out and eat, eat his contract or just get rid of him and eat his money, which I don't think is huge, and have Glaber play third or have Frazier there and Glaber tune him until Glaber's completely ready to play third, there's some rumors about maybe they would try to ship Starlin Castro out because they weren't in love with him and have Glaber oh. play second. I think that's, in terms of their pitching. By the way, Johnny, you know, Tanaka, Johnny, you nailed yeah. it. I think that's what happens. Yeah. I think they trade they, Castro. They trade Starlin for somebody. They move Glaber, Glaber to uh, second, and they keep Didi Gregorius at short because he's the best shortstop they've ever right. had. <laughs> well, he's in the conversation for top several. He's the god um, of Yankee but, shortstops. He, Glaber is Glaber is coming, and he you know see he's got to play somewhere. You know, it'd be nice to get another pitcher, but I mean, in terms of like free agent pitchers, 
you know, does Jake Arrieta for $125 million do much for me? Mm, not especially. And, you know, Tanaka may, I think they'll bring CC back with like one year and a team option, and he's probably earned that as a fifth starter. Mm. He's turned into a, you know, Andy Pettit type crafty lefty. Yes. And it came up pretty big in, in the postseason. So I'd give CC a, you know, one year deal with an option if he would take that. And I can't see there being a huge market for him. He probably wants to stay. Tanaka can opt out, but I mean, I don't know where he thinks he's getting more money. If you know, maybe if he wants another year or something on the back end, the Yankees might do that. But I mean, he was he was great in the postseason, but he wasn't great in the regular season. So, are you? They got some guys on the farm, Justice Sheffield and Chance Adams. Or, but are they going to be ready? And you're putting big spots, you know, for rookies next year in the rotation. I don't know. Are you? Uh, I don't know who the big arm are you is. Interested in, okay, you know, big starter. Are you interested in David Price or no? <laughs> no, I'd, I'd rather play. I'd rather hit against him. That does that does good things for the Yankees. So I'd rather face him than root That's for him. That's fair. It'll be interesting to see if the Yankees stick with the DNA that they built here and not audible like the Red Sox did. The Red Sox had this chance, especially after they won in 2013, when all the Red Sox fans were like, "We've won three titles. Like, pinch us. Like, we can't believe this. We'll we'll support anything." They could have just built around a young team, and instead they went and spent all this money, and they went almost reverted back to the 1970s, 80s Red Sox of, let's just go buy some, 80s, 90s Red Sox, let's go buy some guys. And a right. lot of them didn't work out. I would have much rather just watched them build a team around the young guys, which is what the Yankees have a chance to do. It'll be interesting to see if they completely audible from that and overpay Arietta and trade Claver Torres for Manny Machado and, you know, do all the old things right. the Yankees would have done 25 years ago. Who knows? Right. I mean, that's, a, that's why this Yankees team was so lovable. And it's really like, you know, from the core four days, you got a little taste of this, but it's really in their history, very un-Yankee like, yeah. at least in, in my lifetime. And the Stein, I shouldn't say all time, but in the, in the Steinbrenner era, you know, start, I was born in 1970. So, Steinbrenner bought him in 73. So the Yankees I've known my whole life of just going out and spending money on free agents and just bringing in mercenaries. But this team, like, to hear about these guys, <clears throat> excuse me, hear about these guys for years and then, like, the baby bombers, which I hate as a name. But anyway, we'll go with that for now. Nah, it's awful. Like, to see them, to have them, you know, hear about the baby bombers and then see them accomplish it. And it's like you feel like a connection with them because they're like your homegrown guys. And everybody yes. always feels closer with that, you know? The Red Sox had that with, you know, Pedroia and with Nomar and, you know, with um, Hall of Famer Xander Bogarts. They always had, you know, Mookie, all these guys that they <laughs> they that were homegrown, you know. We have it so, now. We, we, we could have I had it. I think fans like that better. Fans like that better. Once you've won the and World Series. Go, you know, yeah, well, once you've won the World Series, I just want to root for guys that I've watched for a bunch of time. I'd much rather build from the ground up. And we have Betts and Devers and Benintende, and that's why I want to see them build Right. Around. Yeah, me too with the Yankees. Now, you know, the Yankees have that with, you know, Severino and Sanchez and Judge and, um, you know, Betances, who's kind of fallen off the radar, and maybe they can get him back on track. But, and, and you know, you hear, you know, obviously I don't want them to do anything with Glaber Torres, but you're Justice Sheffield or Chance Adams. But, you know, the Yankees have this allegedly wonderful farm system. So if there's some guys there that you could trade for established players. Yeah. You know, I don't mind if you trade some guys on the margins or a couple guys that maybe will turn out to be really good, but you know, you did it to supplement what could be a, you know a deep World Series team or a, a potential dynasty team like what the Cubs you know are looking at. You know, there's a, there's a lot of good young teams in baseball, so if you have to trade a couple prospects to go get a starter, or go get somebody, it's just nice to have the opportunity to do that. But 
because, you know, I keep saying, well, the Yanks are coming, but, you know, Cleveland is young for the most part. They're good. Houston is young, and, you know, they're obviously very good. They're in the World Series. The Red Sox have some young guys that are okay. Um, they have a Hall of Famer, Xander Bogarts. Um, if they go get Stanton, they're obviously <laughs> scary. So there's, you know, there's no yeah. guarantees that we can just pencil in, you know, oh, we're going to be in the, we're going to be in the hunts in the next five years. You like to think so, but um, it's exciting. It's a, it's a good place to be. It's, I, I feel hopeful about the future, and that hope is either a good thing or a terrible thing. Whatever Shawshank taught us, I'll go with that. So, Johnny, <laughs> I think you have to go because I just saw on uh, ESPN one that your daughter's cross country. They just passed the five mile mark. It's they're, you know, I just, they're running I, through the I watched, woods. I watched the start and I think it was the boys and there was like a couple kids got like trampled. We had, I think we had like a like a tour de France, France type crash at the start. I know that's funny, oh, no. but a couple kids went down. Like I'm going to say this for cross country: it's it's not a great spectator sport, and the starts are rough. Like yeah, it's. it's I see at the start, everybody's like running for the whatever and like bumping into each other. You know, it's, it's rough. Well, <laughs> Not ideal. This is a good time to announce that you're going to be the host of the Ringer's Cross Country Podcast, which will be launching next <laughs> week. Ringer X XC. Me. It's going to be me, A-Rod, and Big Poppy in the studio. <laughs> you can't lose. Uh, Johnny, good to talk to you. Good to catch up. Talk to you soon. Good times. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. All right, thanks to Jacko and thanks to SeatGeek. Don't forget, NBA fans, if you want to buy tickets for the first time on SeatGeek, you get $30 off if you use promo code NBA Palooza. It expires on November 1st. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. Back tomorrow with Miles Teller on the BS Podcast. Until then. I want to see them on a way so-